Welcome to the Inclusive Growth Show with Toby Milden. Future-proofing your business by creating a diverse workplace. Hello there. Thank you ever so much for tuning into this episode of the Inclusive Growth Show. I'm Toby Milden, and today I'm joined by my good friend, Shrin Madapalli. So Shrin and I go back a long way. Uh, We both have the same disability, which is spinal muscular atrophy, which is a a neuromuscular condition that we were were born with. Uh, I met Shrin through the kind of the SMA family. Uh, There are not many of us in the world. Um, And uh, but Shrin has got a really, really interesting background. So he has got uh, professional experience in the legal sector. He's an entrepreneur. Uh, He does loads around technology. And uh, it's always great to hang out with Shrin. And uh, so it's great to have him on the show. So hey, Shrin, welcome along. You're too kind, Toby. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I have to be kind to you because we're recording this. Normally, I would like to you up or something like that. that. Still, I, I'll take whatever I can get. If it, if it has to be recorded, I'll, I'll accept that. <laughs> so, Shrin, I kind of gave a whistle-stop tour of your background. But, I mean, you do have an interesting career background because when you left university, you began working in the in the legal profession. So, probably let's begin there. And um, can can you let us know about your career background from university up to current day? Sure. So it is a bit of a mixed background. So I I, I started off life. Actually, even before that, I was a geneticist for a very, very short period of time. That was my original undergrad degree. Um, I then decided to do the graduate diploma in law and requalify as a lawyer. Um, So I practiced as a solicitor in the city for four years, I'm primarily doing work related to corporate mergers and acquisitions. And yeah, did that for four years. Um, While I learned a lot and was incredibly grateful for um, the experience and the opportunity, um, I realized like quite, you know, relatively early on, I I, I sort of realized that this wasn't like the career for life for me. And already by then, I'd started to get more interested in doing things that were more entrepreneurial and like looking for other like hobby projects where I could build or make things. And yeah, like my interests were beginning to sort of digress into into other directions. So I left the law in 2012. I went back to university again to do an MBA. And um, while I was doing the MBA, I also started to learn how to code a bit. And by the time I graduated in in 2014, I started doing some freelance work as a web developer. So in that period, I'd I'd learned enough to to, to make basic applications and to build products for people. Um, And that then led to being a co-founder of Accommable in 2015, where I led development for the first 12 months. So Accommable um, was a travel website for disabled people to find accessible accommodation. And that website and the business 
was acquired by Airbnb in 2017. And then I moved out to California um, for two years. So I lived in San Francisco up until up until the beginning of this year. Um, and I led the new sort of accessible travel sort of unit within the accommodation category of Airbnb um, for two years to build out this new team and um, start getting some foundational changes made at the company. So integrating what we learned had a combo within Airbnb. So um, I recently left Airbnb. So um, I now um, do a mixture of things um, in the interim. So I do a lot of technology investing. I do a lot of technology consulting. Um, I'm doing some sort of voluntary work with some charities that mean a lot to me, but bigger picture, looking to do a new startup again. So I apologize. I rambled on a lot there, but that's basically a whistle-stop tour of my career today. No, it's really cool because you, you do have such a diverse excuse upon because this is the inclusive growth show and we talk about diversity and inclusion, but you do have a, a diverse well, it's been, uh, Yeah, you know, it's, it's got to be done, right? Exactly. You have to get it in there somehow. But, you know, but you've been from gen- geneticist through to legal profession, through to entrepreneur, tech entrepreneur, um, you know, and now, you know, in entrepreneurial investing and things like that. Um, I mean, I, I'm interested to know if if throughout your career disability ever played a part in some of the decisions that you made. You know, did you did you ever come across sort of any challenges or barriers that, that made you think about whether a particular career path was right for you or undeniably, like given the kind of disability that SMA is, I think it is it is impossible to uncouple disability to, to any decision made. Like whether it be job search or where we travel or where we live, like I think, you know, a condition like SMA, what we have, it, I think it, it intertwines with so many aspects of our life. I don't think you can ever realistically uncouple it from anything. So in terms of like career search and, and, and job applications, so if I sort of hark back to the 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 towards the end of my time at university and I'm looking and I'm applying for my first roles, for me, it was important to apply for something or take a career path where having a physical disability was going to be less of an issue. Hence, you know, why I did go down the legal path because my, my, my perception at the time, and I think has been validated since that careers like law are more about like, you know, your, your, your sort of your mind and your capability of interpreting the law and advising clients and less dependent on, on, on physical ability. So therefore, you know, having a disability doesn't really, you know, it doesn't, it, it's less of a disadvantage compared to like, I don't know, if we were doing something that required physical labor every day. And so, yeah. so from one level, yes, like I'm trying to think about careers where my disability is less likely to pose a massive obstacle and where I can lean into the things that I am good at rather than, you know, be held back by, by things around my disability. Secondly, at the time, I'd say less this was about disability, but more about like the economic impact of disability. I was very conscious that unemployment rates around disability can be higher. So it was really important for me that my first role was with somebody reputable and I really wanted to make sure that I worked with an organized or I, I tried you know I, I invested my efforts 
and time to apply to organizations where I knew if I could get my first role there, that in itself would mean like future job opportunities become easier to get. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the same same thinking that I had when I when I left university and was looking for my first jobs as well. Um, you know, and I've ended up in jobs that it's it's about what you bring with your mind, your you know, your creativity, your analytical mm-hmm. skills, that kind of thing that that really counts. The thing is, like when you were creating uh, a comable, I used to always explain to people that it's just like Airbnb, but for disabled people. And then in 2017, mm-hmm. Airbnb brought you out. So <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. know. That was serendipitous. But like, why? Why did Airbnb? Yeah, it was all thanks to you, Toby. It was that description that basically done the I deal. It, like I should have got some commission for like my marketing tagline work right there. But um, thank goodness the invoices never come. I just say, loads of people set up businesses and they go, it's like the Uber of, or it's, you know, it's like the delivery Mm -hmm. of, you know, they always kind of link it back to uh, one one of the big brands. But I mean, Airbnb Mm -hmm. did buy you out in uh, 2017. Like, why why did they take interest in Accommable and why did they want to kind of incorporate you into their product? There'd been a multitude of factors that led to the acquisition on both our sides. So from the Accommable side, we were looking at the time, so in in the summer of 2017, we were looking for much more investments. So the platform had sort of outgrown itself. We were having more demand than what we would cope, what we could cope with. And we needed a massive injection of capital to invest in our infrastructure in order to scale the business. And we were looking for a partner who could help us scale. And one of my investors at the time suggested, you know, maybe speaking to another travel business that already had that scale and reach to see whether they could be some tie up. So through the, through that sort of investor network, the introduction to Airbnb was made. Um, from the Airbnb side, I think there'd been a, it'd been a, the, the decision to make an acquisition for of a comable, I think, was the culmination of multiple things. So there'd been a various amounts of criticism in the press about the inability of disabled people to use Airbnb because of, of, of you know, inadequacies in the product. Um, there'd been a lot of complaints and there'd been a lot of, like, external pressure that had been exerted in order to, to help, to, in order to sort of... It, in order to sort of, you know, influence the company to improve. And I think on a reciprocal, like internally, like it is a, a is a company with a lot of good people that want to do the right thing. And there's also been an internal drive to seek expertise in order to do this better. And I think there was an understanding that like, and as you know, Tobes, and, and probably many of, of the, the, the folks on this on this podcast listening will attest to that understanding the needs of disabled people is very hard unless you're either kind of immersed in the community or you have personal experience and all credit to the decision makers at Airbnb. Instead of sort of trying to make it up as they went along, the decision was made to go out there and seek expertise. So there was a combination of like push and pull factors that sort of brought us closer to Airbnb, but also brought Airbnb um, to want to acquire us as well. Yeah, so you you went over to San Francisco. I won't hold it against you, but you left me for a few years, um, <laughs> lording it up. Um, and I, I mean, what, what did you manage to accomplish 
whilst you were working with Airbnb over in Silicon Valley? Sure. So uh, we we accomplished a bunch of things. Um, I will kind of caveat from the beginning. Like, did we accomplish everything I wanted to achieve? Absolutely no. Um, I think we made really good progress on a critical number of things that over the course of many years, I think will leave will will lead to some really kind of high impact improvements. So there were a mixture of things that we done. So firstly, um, back in the day, like there was only one checkbox saying wheelchair accessible on an Airbnb listing and nobody really knew what that meant. And it just, you just had no idea what, that listing had. And so we unbundled that box into lots of different features like roll-in shower, step-free entry, grab rails, um, the entire sort of spectrum of different accessibility features that a home could have um, was was re-engineered into the product. Secondly, um, we rebuilt a lot of the host side tooling. So again, back in the early days, there was no way for hosts to add photos of role of like accessibility features in their bathrooms or, you know, to be able to describe different parts of like accessibility in their home. So we built a lot more tools and photography collection systems to facilitate the collection of that data. And third, we started a massive outreach program of training and education for hosts. Um, No matter how good a technical product is, it is really fundamental that um, people actually understand why accessibility is important, what does it entail, um, what makes a good travel experience. Um, So, you know, those are probably the three key kind of primary areas where we made most of our progress and then there were just lots of other internal things that we did you know so when when i joined you know there wasn't there was there wasn't like there weren't many people that even understood accessibility internally within the company so now as i leave there are a lot more people that understand there's a lot more different parts of the company that now consider accessibility on new projects um, and hopefully, like, we've institutionalized a lot of knowledge and understanding and fundamental culture change. So as things develop in the years to come, you will just see better and better sort of accessibility in product. I think the one area that I feel like, unfortunately, I was not able to make the progress I wanted to make progress on was around, like, quantity of supply so if you do a search for a listing in london which has a roll-in shower and step-free entry unfortunately there just isn't the critical mass of supply in the first place and i think whoever takes over my role one of their big questions is going to be how do we facilitate how do we facilitate the sourcing of much greater numbers of listings Mm, absolutely yeah because like the the platform is there but not necessarily the the places to go and stay. Yeah. So if I was to sum up what we achieved, it's like we've built the infrastructure, like the foundations have been made. Now the next challenge is for somebody to start building on top of them and start building out like the, the critical mass of supply. Yeah. I mean, so since Airbnb incorporated disability into their, you know, their overall product, how do you think their i suppose the quality of their their overall offering has improved again i think it comes down to sort of sort of the previous question right in the sense that like 
there's there's two aspects to the quality of the product. There is yes, are they good search filters? Are they good photography tools? I think that is in place, but unfortunately, the where the product lacks is that there is just not enough supply. So you know, but having enough supply is core to the product as well, right? So it's yeah, it's like the foundations are there, but like the product does not have enough supply. Yeah. That's that's understandable, um, and and also, how do you think the the work that you did influenced the culture? Because you did touch upon that as well, but you know, because I mean that that should hopefully stand the test of time as well going forwards. I think that was one of the biggest things where you don't notice at the time, but like the feedback I've got from peers, which is one of the biggest things that will sort of outlast anything else, is the culture shift. In that, like, we did a lot of internal outreach, a lot of lunch and learns, a lot of, like, bringing local members of the Bay Area disability community into the office to do talks and learning sessions and teach-ins with many, many members of staff on what the challenges of accessible travel are. Um, so that was definitely one of the major shifts where, you know, before me and the Accommable team joined, like there weren't that many people that understood this area. But now like you do have a lot more allies and advocates within the company that are constantly raising the importance of making sure that accessibility is thought about as early as possible. Definitely. Definitely. I think, yeah, it's important to factor in accessibility at the beginning. Um, it's like if you're building a website, any website, and then you wait until you've launched your website to do an audit to find all of the accessibility defects, it's going to cost you a lot more time and energy to fix it. You know, you just needed to get accessibility factored in from the very beginning of the of the the whole project lifecycle life cycle. Completely. Yeah. So you've now left Airbnb. Um, what are you doing now? A mixture of things. So um, like primarily leaving to take a little bit of a break from sort of being on the front line of, of you know, of, of, of sort of a busy kind of, of a busy kind of leadership role. Um, so I'm taking a step back for to do a few things. So like I am still doing a bit of consulting work on sort of startups and companies that I have sort of close connections with and are doing things that I care about. Um, I also do a lot of mentoring and support to the te- to, to sort of entrepreneurs within the tech community. And that often involves making sort of direct investments into startups myself. Um, sort of in the, and so that sort of covers the near term. And then in the longer term, probably sort of from early, sort of the, the beginning of next, early to beginning, middle of next year sometime, um, I want to go build a new business again. What that will be, I do not know. Um, but definitely the itch, the itch has come back to, to go build something again. And I know you will do it because you've got no shortage of ideas. And when, when you do put your mind to something, you do build a business up. It's, um yeah, I mean, you are a great entrepreneur and I've learned, I've learned tons from you over the years. So thank you. And yeah, I think the key thing is just finding what that is. Right. So like, uh, I want to use this time away from just like being busy on a day to day basis and just have that time to reflect on what new problems I feel I could best solve. Yeah. So this is the Inclusive Growth Show. And before we go, I'm just interested in understanding what you think inclusive growth is all about. So to me, I think inclusive growth is it, it's 
it is a category or it should be sort of the default category of growth where organizations grow their community, their customer base, their supplier base, all of their stakeholders as fairly and equitably as possible. And, you know, it is probably the antithesis of maybe what has happened to date where growth has sort of over-indexed on one particular set of group or individuals that then maybe leaves many other more marginalized groups behind. And so, um, yeah, I definitely see sort of inclusive growth as like a corporate strategy to make sure that like everybody has the chance to win and everybody is kind of empowered and franchised sort of together rather than rather than separately. Brilliant. You might have just come up with my own marketing strat line. There you go. So we're, we're recall now, right? <laughs> exactly. Quid pro quo, so to speak. Um, Shrin, thank you for joining me on this episode. Uh, if the person listening to our chat wants to get hold of you, what's the best way of doing that? Uh, the best way is probably to look me up on LinkedIn. Um, I'm not really a, a big user of sort of social media like Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. So I think the only thing I really sort of use these days is LinkedIn. So probably just sort of Google my name and LinkedIn and and, and just add uh, add me as a connection with a note is probably the easiest way. Brilliant. Well, Strain, thank you ever so much for joining me on this episode. It's been uh, lovely to chat with you and uh Well, I will see you soon. Um, So, uh, yeah. Thank you for having me. And yes, speak to you soon. That's right. Um, And thank you for listening to this episode with Sharon and myself. Hopefully you found it uh, an interesting conversation. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Inclusive Growth Show, which will be coming up very shortly. Until then, take care. Thank you for listening to the Inclusive Growth Show. For further information and resources from Toby and his team, head on over to our website at milden.co.uk.